The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 363 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is courage in family caregiving for Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's disease is a brain disease that can't be stopped, reversed, or cured. It slowly destroys memory and thinking. It mostly affects people over the age of 65, but it also affects people well under the age of 65. Among older people, it's the most common form of dementia, and dementia is a general name for a brain disorder that seriously affects the individual's ability to carry out daily activities. Alzheimer's disease begins slowly by first involving the parts of the brain that control thought, memory, and language, which obviously causes trouble for people trying to remember things that happened recently or names of people whom they know. Now, over time, Alzheimer's disease gets worse so that individuals may not recognize family members, may have trouble speaking, reading, or writing, may forget how to brush their teeth or comb their hair, later on may become anxious or aggressive or wander away from home, and eventually they'll likely need total care, which can cause great stress for family caregivers who must care for them. Which is why our topic, Courage in Family Caregiving for Alzheimer's Disease, is so important for family caregivers and their family members. To discuss it, our guest is Myra Batonis. After 29 years in healthcare, working throughout the United States in the senior housing industry, Mara's life and career trajectory was forever changed when a close family member was stricken with Alzheimer's disease. Her everyday work now at the national level and alongside families coping with the impact of Alzheimer's disease, as well as countless medical and healthcare professionals specializing in in this disease, offered her unparalleled opportunities to learn from their collective expertise. Her passion and life's work has been to support families in finding hope and happiness on a day-to-day basis in the face of this devastating disease. She says that she often cites the influence of her beloved grandfather, Bill, as the inspiration for her commitment to those coping with the impact of Alzheimer's disease. 
She continues to be a sought-after speaker and outspoken advocate for families affected by Alzheimer's disease as she shares a positive and empowering message around the world. So welcome to the show, Mara. Thank you, and thanks so much for having me, Gordon. You're very welcome. Now, first question for you. Please tell us some more about your life, your career, your experience as family caregiver for a close family member stricken by Alzheimer's disease. Sure. Uh, For me, it started very early. At 14, I volunteered at a nursing home in upstate New York while I was on summer vacation. And being around seniors in all stages of aging, cognitively and physically, was nothing new to me. I um, continued after I volunteered at that young age uh, to be a certified nursing aide. That's how I worked my way through college. And except for a very brief stint at an ice cream parlor in high school that lasted less than three weeks, um, my entire career, and I'm 44 now, has always been in senior care in some form or fashion. Um, So this is very much my passion and what I've spent my whole life doing, trying to make days of our revered seniors a little bit better and a little bit brighter through quality care. And for me, that really took a personal turn. My parents got divorced when I was a year old. So for my whole life, my paternal influence for over 40 years was my grandfather. And um, he, a retired general, a dual degreed scholar, a successful person financially and in the real estate world as well, for many was thought of as a hero. And and to our family, he was certainly that, including his humble aversion to that word at all. And when I was visiting him on a vacation from work, and he didn't have any idea who I was or that we had ever met, that's when things uh, took a little different turn for me. Right. Now, please tell us more about your what you call your everyday work at the national level and also alongside families coping with the impact of Alzheimer's disease, such as the one, the impact that it had on you. Mara? Sure. Um, I, I spent over 15 years with one of the nation's largest providers of senior housing, and in that role, I kind of rose through the ranks, if you will, from an area to a regional to divisional, and then eventually the national director of sales and marketing for memory care. And in the course of executing those duties, on an everyday basis, I got to work with some real pioneers in dementia care across the country, from nurses to neurologists, um, caregiving aides to activity directors, physicians and program directors, memory care specialists, but also folks that were providing successful care at home, the sons and daughters and husbands and wives that are the folks that I spend most of my day with now. And they became my mentors. And I realized that the very best way to help my grandfather was by learning from this huge pool of people how to have a successful day after this diagnosis and knowing that, as you said in in the introduction to our, our discussion today, we can't alter the outcome. Unfortunately, right now there isn't a cure, but I passionately believe we can improve the journey. And it doesn't mean that we still can't find hope and joy along the way. And that's what I began um, to dedicate my, my work life to. Now, your dedication and the insights that you gained for meeting with and talking with at the high level and also with the families, um, you brought together all of those insights into your book, 
which is called When Caring Takes Courage, A Guide for Alzheimer's Caregivers. Please tell us about your book. For us, it was really important as I was doing this research, Gordon, one of the things that families really shared with me is that out of all the resources they they usually get recommended after diagnosis, they had a hard hard time reading them, that there was wonderful information contained in a variety of places, different websites, different organizations, and certainly some oft-recommended books. But the challenge was finding the time to paw through that and get out the information they really needed. So I really listened to that feedback an awful lot, and we call ours an interactive guide. It's really, you know, kind of three books in one. We've got all of those solutions to get through common caregiving challenges, bathing, dressing, grooming, medication management, toileting or continence. But then we've also got a section in there about how to keep that connection as meaningful as possible for both the caregiver and the caregivee and how to create moments that matter when you don't have a lot of time um, in your day and you maybe don't have a lot of time left with this person as the disease progresses. And then there's all kinds of Alzheimer's adapted activity ideas. No chapter is over three pages long. Everything in there, every best practice that made the cut. And we were very brutal about things um, being good enough to be a best practice. And that meant that it was widely utilized by families and healthcare professionals. But all those best practices are found in bullets and they're ranged cookbook style. You don't have to read the book from start to finish. You can just um, pull it in a non-sequential way based on what challenge you're having in that moment in that day. Maybe someone won't take their medicine or refuses to bathe or wash up, or maybe you're having a hard time getting them in the car to go to a doctor's appointment. You can just pull right what you need in that moment to get you through the day and have a better experience for both of you. And what you've obviously done is to make a great deal of effort to make the information understandable. And if I can put it this way, also actionable in the sense that people can do something with it. It's going to be useful to them. Now, first of all, I think I'm writing saying in how I've summarized that back to you. Yeah. But please tell us a bit more about the way you do that in the book. Well, one of the things that we're really, really passionate about is that there is no one right way to do this. And I say early on, I don't I don't know that I believe there are any experts at Alzheimer's. We don't really know what causes it. We don't know how to cure it. It affects each person so differently. So right from the get-go, I want caregivers to know that as much as they're going to learn about the disease from people that they will consider experts or resources, that will only be as important as the expertise they already possess in terms of knowing the life story and the person that they're caring for. And I think those two things together are what creates the most successful outcomes. Everything they can learn about the disease that's relevant based on the symptoms they're seeing But also, it was important to me that we presented that information in a way that empowers them to tailor it based on their own caregiving successes that I know they're already having and the person that they know better than anybody, the person that they're taking care of and have probably had a front row seat to most of their entire life story. And there had to be a high degree of flexibility. There is no one size fits all. There's no Martha Stewart of memory care. There's no one recipe that we can all follow. So I tried to give them all the ingredients that they might need, but permission to mix them up any way that they wanted to so that it came out in a way that best suited them. So that when they read it, they're able to identify the parts that speak to them and the Mm -hmm. situation they're in and what they're seeing with their family member. That's right, isn't it? 
Yep, absolutely. Perfectly stated. Right. Now, again, just tell me a little, very little. We've only got a short time before the break, so just tell, tell me very quickly, or maybe give me an example of how you actually do that. A kind of couple of sentences that express sure. that way of speaking to people. Mara? Well, sure. Well, one of the things we do, um, folks are really familiar with the disease process and the stages of the disease, but we felt like the symptoms are so uniquely experienced that one of the things, um, and our book's so interactive, we encourage people to tear pages out, write in the book. Okay take them to the physician's appointment. And one of them is a checklist for signs and symptoms. It's got the 50 most commonly cited symptoms of Alzheimer's and dementia. And then the caregiver checks if this is occurring in their loved one or not. And if it happens daily, weekly, monthly, or never. And the right from the get-go, that helps them really personalize in a, in a, in a very specific fashion, the kind of care and treatment that they're endeavoring to find for their loved one when they have conversations with medical and other healthcare providers. So right from the get-go, we're saying this is an individual with the disease, and we need to treat the individual first before we tackle the symptoms of the disease. Right. And you're using a checklist method to do it. Yeah. Now, on that point, talking of checklists, it's time for us to take a short break. This is where I always say we have to pay the rent, so we'll do that <laughs> now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Mara Batonis. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? For 27 years, KidStar has empowered thousands of kids across the country. And now we have the opportunity to empower children around the world. KidStar is announcing a new radio show called Voyage Earth. Voyage Earth will empower kids from across the world. KidStar has created a Kickstarter campaign just for this new undertaking. By pledging to Kickstarter... You pledge for a future of empowered people to come. My name is Rinsley from Indy on Voice America Kids. I want to thank you for being a backer of our Kickstarter. Voyage. Kickstar, we empower kids. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. 
VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Mara Batonis. Our topic is courage in family caregiving for Alzheimer's disease. Now, Mara, let's talk about the challenges created by Alzheimer's disease. Now, here's, here's my question, first question for you. What do you think are the most challenging of the challenges that Alzheimer's disease creates for individuals, the individuals who live with it, and why are these challenges so challenging for these individuals? Mara? Well, I think, Gordon, two things. Um, first of all, you know, to be robbed in ever-increasing ways of your access to the sum total of your life experiences, all the people and places and times in your life that make you who you are. You know, imagine, listeners out there, imagine that all of a sudden these memories start to erode a little bit more every single day until finally the face of your spouse is unrecognizable. The idea that you you have children is something foreign to you and, and unfamiliar, that you maybe don't recognize the house that you live in or things that you've collected your entire life that are sitting on shelves around you. Nothing in your whole experience during a day is familiar or comforting or brings you any kind of emotional fulfillment. I think that is a huge part of what makes it so challenging and, and that why we need to be so sensitive to folks that are newly diagnosed and living with dementia. But then you couple these losses, the loss of your whole life story, if you will, with the idea that it comes with some ever-increasing frustration about doing even the most routine tasks that require any kind of sequencing. And this could be something like uh, financial management or paying bills or the frustration that comes with driving safely in the earlier stages. And then as the disease progresses, you know, think about just something as easy as being presented with a hamburger. Well, you might forget that that you don't like pickles and you would normally take those off or that you'd like to put some ketchup on there and, and cut it in half so it's easier for you to bite. All those things that require sequential steps that you need to put your socks on before your shoes become increasingly more difficult. And that carries with it its own high level of frustration because we have folks that maybe know on some level that they'd want to accomplish something, but they're not really sure what it is or how to go about it. And you add that into feeling like a stranger in your own home, that makes a pretty tough day. And you've emphasized time and time again in this, the frustration that results from that yeah. to the to the individual who isn't able to navigate their way through the challenges of the type you're talking about. That's right, isn't it? That the frustration is important and it emerges and surfaces. Do you agree with that? I definitely do. And we have a philosophy in the book called All Behavior is Communication. And as you mentioned earlier, Gordon, sometimes in the later stages of the disease, you're going to see some maybe odd or unusual behaviors, maybe some physical aggressiveness, some verbal aggression, sometimes when the person that you know and love is all of a sudden doing things that are so out of character, maybe swearing or breaking things or, but we have to understand that that's 
all behavior is communication and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're trying to inflict harm. And in, in most cases, you can almost guarantee they're not. It comes from that frustration that we just spoke about of not knowing where you are, what you're supposed to be doing or how to do it. And and if we put ourselves in that in that position for a moment, I think it's a lot easier as caregivers for us to kind of try to search for that unmet need and to try to find a way to not vilify the person because of the behavior, but look for the reason and, and try to better understand it and meet the need that they can't express. Right. Now that takes us to the next question, which is the same format. What, are, what do you think are the most challenging of the challenges that Alzheimer's disease creates for the families of individuals who live with these diseases? That is, the, the individuals have the diseases. What are the challenges for the families and why are the challenges so challenging? Mara? Well, you know, I think families put themselves under so much pressure. And one of the things I always tell folks is to don't don't let your idea of someone else's judgment about the right way to do this prevent you from taking any action or doing anything at all. You know, some I tell people it's okay to feel your feelings and this comes with a whole gamut of emotions, whether it's grief or fear or worry or anger. And it's okay to feel all of that. We've all been through all of those things and it doesn't make you a bad person. We have family members who, when they learn of this diagnosis, want to spend as much possible quality time with their loved one as they can. Then we have others that, you know, for a self-protective mechanism, kind of avoid that person for a little while until they work through the idea that there's going to come a day when their mom doesn't have any idea who they are or that their dad has already forgotten their name. And sometimes they need to take time to process that first internally before they can be there for someone else and and be a giving caregiver. And we tell folks that it's okay. And there's resources out there to help them through that journey, but to not not put too much pressure on themselves to behave like others do or, you know, if I'm not signing up for a walk or I'm not raising money for a cure, then I must be a bad daughter. That's not it at all. You know, this doesn't, just because this diagnosis entered your life, it doesn't all of a sudden change you into every other person that's dealing with it. You're still who you are. The person you love is still who they are. And you have permission to go on this journey in a way that speaks to that individual relationship that was already intact. Now, that takes me directly to the next question, which is the same format, most what you think are the most challenging of the challenges created by Alzheimer's disease for family caregivers. That is, you call them caregivers, I call them family caregivers, but it's the people who are most directly involved in caring for the individual with the Alzheimer's disease. What are the most challenging of the challenges for them, and why are these challenges so challenging? Mara? This group of folks is near and dear to my heart. In fact, there are 15 million unpaid caregivers right now uh, in the United States alone, let alone worldwide. And I consider these folks my bosses. And I think their challenges are twofold. And one is physically, if you know a family caregiver who's the primary person responsible for care for someone with dementia, here's a picture of likely what happened between when they got up this morning and 7.30 in the morning. 
from the minute they got up, their loved one is maybe asking them where they are, what they should be doing. And they're responsible for getting that person's face washed, teeth brushed, hair combed, um, clean clothes on, maybe bathed, maybe not, getting morning medicines done, making sure they have a nutritious meal that's cooked and presented to them and they, they eat a high percentage of it, that they're toileted when they need to and that they're prepared for the day. Maybe they need to go to the pharmacy or the physician or what have you. And they need to prepare that person for leaving the home. These kinds of things happen 24 hours a day. They're not sleeping through the night because every noise they hear could be an indicator that someone they love is doing something dangerous because they don't have the judgment to determine what's safe and what's not. Physically, it's a terribly demanding job. It's fulfilling, make no mistake about it, but it's also physically draining. And I think for others to know also for um, primary caregivers, they're dealing with a different kind of grief than maybe extended family or, or friends might. And one of them two different kinds of grief. One of them is called um, anticipatory grief. And to make it easy to explain, I live in South Florida. And for me, anticipatory grief is bathing suit season. It's something bad. It's coming up. I can't avoid it. It's happening whether I want it to or not. Now, I joke, but in, in Alzheimer's land, anticipatory grief means that I'm taking care of somebody I love so much who has a disease I can never cure or fix. And to live with that every day and know that how hard you work, how hard you try, how much you give, how many hours you tend to this person you love, it won't ever change the outcome. And that in itself can be extremely demoralizing. And coupled with the last thing I wanted to mention, which is ambiguous loss, the idea that they're going through this kind of alone because the person they're caring for, they can't talk to about this anymore and probably doesn't recognize them or even their efforts. And that can be a pretty lonely situation. Now, let me just expand, ask you to expand on something. Family caregivers are facing these enormous challenges mm -hmm. and day after day, day in, day out, do they ever get feelings of guilt that despite all they're doing, they feel that they're not doing enough? Mara? They do. And that's one of the most heartbreaking things about this. There is a lot of bargaining that comes with this kind of grief. Well, if I just change the diet, if we just try this supplement, if I just had more time for reminiscing, I could slow this, I could change it, I could make the progression less aggressive, I could make sure the days were better. And there's a lot of self-doubt and um, a lot of self-auditing that happens at the end of each day about whether these folks feel like they did enough or they didn't. And my message is always that you were present, that you tried your best, and that you came at this from a place of love you're already doing your best and you're already more than enough because you did all those things. Do family caregivers look after themselves well enough, do you think, given the challenges generally that they face? Definitely not. Um, these are among the most noble, self-sacrificing folks I've ever had the honor and the privilege to come in contact with. Their devotion and commitment to making sure this other person with the disease is cared for and has all their needs met supersedes everything else and at times you'll see their health compromised their social relationships compromised many of them are taking leave from work or losing jobs if they're not uh, retired already it puts a tremendous financial burden on the entire family they know these things and they take them on willingly um, and and that leaves very little in the reservoir when it come comes time for themselves. In the book, I talk about 10 minutes tops and things that they can do for themselves 
without ever having to arrange for alternate care for a loved one, without it costing a lot of money, without them having to leave their home or go somewhere else. A lot of times, well-meaning family members or friends will say things that actually have the opposite effect. They're trying to be encouraging and they tell a family caregiver, well, gosh, go get a massage or go see a movie or go out to dinner. And that can be very hurtful to someone who doesn't feel like either they're worthy of it which I don't believe is true, worthy of that break, or they don't feel comfortable leaving their loved one in in a situation where others are the primary care, even if it's for a short while. So we talk a lot about if that's how you feel, and you know, I'm not I'm not gonna try to change anybody's mind, but if that's how you feel, please at least take 10 minutes a day to do something just for you. And we have uh, over 50 solutions about what they can do just without ever again leaving their home or spending a lot of money or arranging for a sitter. Right. Now, once again, it's break time, so we'll take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Mara Batonis. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Mara Batonis. Uh, our topic is courage in family caregiving for Alzheimer's disease. Mara, now let's talk about the role of courage 
for family caregivers in responding to all those challenges that we've been talking about, or you've been talking about rather. Mara, please explain why courage is so important for family caregivers in responding to the challenges that Alzheimer's disease creates for their family members who live with it. Why is courage important for family caregivers? Mara? Well, Gordon, I think watching somebody you love so much fight so hard against a disease that currently has no cure, setting aside the hourly heartbreak sometimes that comes from witnessing this pain and letting go of our own frustration over not being able to fix it and managing our own constant companions of guilt and grief and then still choosing to be physically and emotionally present for them when it's the hardest and most heartfelt thing we've ever been called to do, you know, to be willing to choose to increase your own suffering and hurt in the hopes of lessening someone else's, I think that's when caring takes courage because it's not easy. It's not easy at all. And, you know, I talk an awful lot about other diagnoses and I, not to be too comparative, but sometimes when it's a physical ailment that's easier to see, it's often a little bit easier for family caregivers to understand. It's tangible. I see that someone has had a stroke. I see that their left side has been impacted. I see them working hard with physical therapy every day. And I see that this is something that could improve. Well, with Alzheimer's, it's completely different. There's this really unusual cycle of seeming remission and then worsening onset where this disease takes and then returns the person you love many times throughout the day. They look physically like the exact same person that you've known and loved forever. And sometimes they'll be able to carry on a, a, a coherent conversation with you and even have some wonderful long-term memory and recall. And then just moments later, they retreat into this fog of confusion that we lose them to. And I say it's a wonderfully heartbreaking cycle because as painful as that is, the one good thing about this disease is every once in a while, every once in a while in the most unexpected ways, you get the person you love back again. And sometimes it's an expression. Sometimes it's simply them touching your hand and giving you a nod as if they recognize who you are and why you're there. And sometimes that's a pretty big deal to folks like us. And it gives us the strength that we need to keep going because we may not have other signs that the person that we love is still there and that our relationship is is still accessible in some way to them. And I think that takes courage to be in that situation every day and not to yeah. give up. Now, thank you. Again, same question. Please explain why courage is so important for family caregivers in responding to the challenges that Alzheimer's disease creates for the family caregivers themselves. Courage for family caregivers about themselves. Mara? Well, I think it takes a lot of courage for families to, to face the impact of this disease. A lot of times you hear, hear about families in denial, sometimes for, for years. Well, that's just forgetfulness. Well, that's just a part of aging. Well, you know, she doesn't do it all the time. Or, you know, the last time I see him, he sounded fine. You know, we have all these ways of rationalizing or explaining away the signs and symptoms we're seeing. 
And I think sometimes we lose really precious time doing that. So I'm asking families to be more courageous in identifying when they see things that are not normal. That's worthy of a proactive conversation with the person you love, with their healthcare providers, with their medical professionals. Dementia is not a normal, healthy part of aging. In fact, it's not at all. So when you're starting to see things that don't sound right, it's worthy of exploring that. And I ask folks for the courage to face those things head on and to to be unafraid to have those conversations. Now, just because you are seeing signs and symptoms of dementia, I also want to let our listeners know it doesn't always mean an automatic preliminary diagnosis of an incurable disease like Alzheimer's. Gordon, as you mentioned in the intro, uh, dementia is an umbrella term that it covers many things. And sometimes they're very reversible and treatable. For example, if somebody's dehydrated or, believe it or not, malnourished, if their appetite is decreased significantly, um, they're not taking enough nutrition in, if um, they have a a urinary tract infection, if there are recent changes to medication that, that are contraindicating each other. So I want them to have the courage to notice these things, to say them out loud when they're seeing these symptoms, and to, to take action and to bring it up to the person that they're seeing these early signs and symptoms to, and to call in the reinforcements, I like to say, which are, like I said, the health and medical professionals that deal with these things every day. Because if it's treatable, if it's reversible, if it's explainable, then let's fix it when we can. And if it's not, I think families should know that too. For us, when we found out about my grandfather, what courage looked like for us is we wanted to hang tightly onto every single memory and experience we could. So we began journaling, um, journaling our visits with our grandfather, the stories that he would tell us. We even began tape recording questions and we'd ask him, tell me about when you first met grandma and you knew that you were in love. Tell me a little bit about your career and, and what was most important to you when you served in the Air Force. What was that like? And sometimes really easier questions when those became more difficult. Tell me about this picture of you and your parents. This looks like a great happy day. Tell me what you remember about that. So courage can be a lot of things. It can be in the pursuit of a diagnosis. It can be also taking some control back of if it is Alzheimer's and it's progressive and it's non-curable, then then what can you do to protect and preserve as many parts of that person that you love for themselves, for you, and for future generations now that you do know that? But what's not courageous is explaining it away and and not doing anything at all. And that's an easier place to live in in the beginning, but it has very negative ramifications later. Now, just talking about the the first thing, basic point you made, which was noticing that things are, I'm going to use the phrase going wrong. That is, there are changes which don't seem normal um, and you're urging family caregivers to take note of those, discuss those things with the individual with the Alzheimer's disease where possible, and also with healthcare professionals and family doctors and people like that. So in other words, and this is secondary question, really that places the family caregiver as being the kind of eyes and ears in the yeah. family for the individual who is living with and deteriorating with Alzheimer's disease. Is that right? Absolutely. And I think sometimes we don't want to see these things or we're awfully afraid to embarrass somebody, especially in the early stages of the disease. So we notice those things, but we don't 
it doesn't go any further. Maybe, um, for example, if your mother was always, you know, pretty particular about her appearance and on your last couple visits, you noticed she was wearing the same outfit and maybe doesn't wash her hair as often. Or maybe your dad on the way to drive to the post office to mail a package gets lost but explains it that oh you know I just had a lot on my mind or or what have you little things like this if you notice food past its expiration Mm -hmm. dates in the fridge you know I'm I'm oversimplifying this but but those things are worthy of a conversation and you're exactly right about the eyes and the ears and when somebody has early stage dementia it's they need you to do that role because they don't notice these things that's part of the disease process they don't notice the deterioration so the right thing to do is, is to set aside any fear of embarrassing someone and really help make sure that they get any help that they might need. That's what love and courage looks like, is doing something that you know is right, even when at first it may be unpopular. Right. Now that takes me into my next question for you, which is why, um, please explain to us, why courage supports hope and joy for families and family caregivers? Mara? Well, I think having this kind of courageous attitude empowers caregivers to measure success in moments and not outcomes. We know, uh, like I said earlier, that we can't change the outcome. We can't cure the disease. But I think having a courageous approach to this means that you measure success in the moments that you connect. In the moments where somebody you love felt safe, felt purposeful, felt successful, felt a sense of belonging, that matters. And that's a huge success. For example, I'll have caregivers tell me, you know, I, I made my my husband's favorite photos into large piece puzzles. And I sat us down and I thought this would be a really great activity. And I, it's his favorite picture. And I knew he would recognize it. And it's only got 12 pieces. And he was there for 30 seconds. Then he patted me on the arm and he went wandering off. And I, you know, it's not really about accomplishing the task or finishing it. It's about those moments that you had together. You know, for 30 seconds or so, he was right by you. He was engaged enough and wanted to be near you enough that he reached for you and he touched your hand. That's evidence that in that moment, he felt connected to you. And that's a huge success. Whether you finish or not isn't as important as what you were doing on the way there. I think that, if I can just say this to you, that picture of moments of connection moments they're not moments of permanent the start of permanent change but they're moments of capturing something of immense value um, because that it's possible at all is hopeful and joyful isn't it absolutely when when somebody starts rhythmically tapping their knee even though they don't remember the name of the song or the band that played it or any of the words There's some part of their soul that is nourished and enriched by the music. So we have to start looking at what success is a little bit differently. It's not going to be this full recovery where all of a sudden they're fine and driving again and and the person that they were maybe five years ago. But make no mistake, they're still there. And there's still these amazing experiences that await you if you're open enough to look for them and recognize them when you see them. Because I'll bet you they're happening many more times than you think every single day. So just to summarize back to you, the notion of eyes and ears, the family caregiver being the eyes and ears for things that are not looking so promising also applies to eyes and ears for things that are promising. These moments 
of of connection, these moments of hope and joy. So that's another reason for family caregivers, I think, and I think you'll agree with this but when I say it, uh, to be on the lookout for things that you've described that aren't so good and also things that you've described which are very good if moment momentary. That's right, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, once again, the tyranny of time. We're <laughs> going to take <laughs> take the break now, so we'll do that. Uh, this is Dr. Gordon Asley, and my guest is Mara Batonis. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and SharingTheBurden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Mara Batonis. Our topic is courage in family caregiving for Alzheimer's disease. Mara, now let's talk about what more you would like to do and see done to improve support for family caregivers with family members living with Alzheimer's disease. So, Mara, first question, what more would you like to do to improve the support? Mara? Well, we are always working on making sure that not only needed resources are out there, but that they're accessible in a format and in a way that caregivers can take advantage of. Um, For us, you know, there is a ton of work to be done from reimbursing family caregivers for the care they're providing to expanding healthcare coverage for the added healthcare stress and diagnoses that are experienced when you are a primary caregiver for someone else and its impact on your health, Um, social support and programs, scholarships for respite programs and and better family leave from employers. There's um, often, I think, two things. One is maybe a disconnect between the programs that are out there right now 
and caregivers' overall knowledge of where to find these things and where to learn more about them. And then the other thing is, again, we need an expansion of so many of these things. So the call to action, I think, for listeners is twofold. Um, One, the way that we can all get involved and some statistics most recently from the Alzheimer's Association's Facts and Figures report in 2014 talks about maybe one in five persons over age 85 being impacted by Alzheimer's and dementia. We know it's the sixth leading cause of death um, worldwide. And one of the things I'd like to encourage folks to do, if this hasn't visited your family, if it hasn't impacted a neighbor or a friend yet, I'm, I'm sorry to say it probably will sometime in your lifetime touch somebody that you know or that you love. So call your local legislators, call your government and community resources and let them know that you feel that there need to be more programs available in your area to support these family members. On my end, I work very closely with the National Dementia Action Alliance here in the United States. And one thing that our work group does is look at utilization and access, which is taking a funnel to all these websites and phone numbers and organizations and books and people and places that are available to caregivers and kind of paring it down into more of a manageable cliff notes type of a a scenario where families can more easily find what it is that they're looking for without having to do a ton of homework with time that they just don't have. Right. We're working really hard on that. Now, what more would you like to see done and by whom? to improve support for family care, family members living with Alzheimer's disease and for the families and the family caregivers. You've already talked about politicians, I think, implicitly, if not explicitly. Who else and what else and where else would you like to see things done? I think within the healthcare community, there are so many organizations doing a phenomenal job of this already, but it's not as universal as an approach as it could be. And one of the things that that I'd like to see a lot more of is what I call biography-based care. And what that means is that whenever possible, your life story is incorporated into your daily care. For example, if you're someone who worked the night shift your whole life, then maybe the reason you're being combative about taking a shower in the morning is because you never in your whole life did that. Um, If you're somebody who is disrobing, and I'm using an extreme example, maybe it's because your usual attire was pants with an elastic waistband and some slip-on shoes and a cardigan sweater and a polo shirt and that was what was most comfortable to you. So when I don't take the time as your caregiver to know what you like to eat, what you like to dress like, how you like to spend your day, what things were your routine, as simple as what shaving cream did you like to use and what brand of toothpaste do you like the taste of best, I'm probably not only going to encounter more difficulty in providing care, which makes my job harder, but it's also going to impact the quality of life that that someone with dementia is experiencing. So that biography or person-centered care, I think, is is critical for successful outcomes and for more meaningful moments. A lot of healthcare communities are doing a phenomenal job of that already, but it's far from universal. And we need a global effort to teach other organizations and caregivers how to use those approaches and techniques in a way that doesn't cost them so much in training that they can't afford to do it and that is easily replicable from shift to shift and location to location so that it's a more standardized method. And that's, there's a, a lot of work being done already about that, but we have a long way to go still. Right. 
Now, a different type of question. What's your message for family caregivers who've recently learned that a family member will have to live with Alzheimer's disease for the rest of their lives? Mara? I think the first thing um, is that, sadly, you're not alone. And that although the experiences for you and for the person you love are uniquely your own, that because there are Right now, right now when you're listening to this, there are 15 million unpaid caregivers providing daily support to somebody with Alzheimer's and dementia in just the United States alone, not even counting the entire globe. So what that means is although your experiences are going to be uniquely your own, you are among a a community, a camaraderie of caregivers, and please reach out and know that you can learn from their triumphs and their tears And that there's probably not anything that you're going to go through that we haven't already been through. So take advantage of folks that are on this journey at the same pace you are. Folks that have been there and traveled it and walked in these footsteps before you. And then when you're ready and when enough time has passed and you feel like you can give back, then reach behind you and help others who are just starting a journey that you've already been on. That really comes back to the point that... One of the messages, perhaps it's your key message, is to family caregivers in the situation where it's been recognized that a family member will be living with Alzheimer's disease for the rest of their lives, that the family caregivers are not alone. No. That's that's your message, isn't it? Very much so. And um, from our our website to our Facebook page. We've just created a careful community where folks can share their stories and give advice to one another and reach out when they need to simply anonymously read and learn that way when they're not ready to share anything. But there's a fellowship that's available to them whenever they want it. And the other thing that I not the other thing. One other thing I've learned that's important to family caregivers, I've learned it from this show, is, and you've mentioned this already earlier on in the, in the episode, information that's actually understandable, information that's useful yeah. to them, and information that they can trust. And so that's part of, a part of the service, I believe, that you're offering and that you're advocating for. Am I right in interpreting you that way? Absolutely. I I never presume to tell anybody what to do. I, I am very careful about saying my book is not a how-to. It's a things to think about. I empower every caregiver on this journey to do their own research, ask their own questions, and at the end, make the decision that they feel is the best possible one because nobody knows what they're going through but them. And there isn't anybody else that that has a better vantage point or a a better perspective to make the best possible choice than they do. So to trust their instincts a little bit more because I believe that that they have a lot of the answers already. Right. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this very, very important episode, Mara. So thank you. And thank (laughs) you for sharing with us your experience, your insights, and you've been careful about your way you define advice. Um, you're giving people ideas, that information that they need to think about rather than telling them what to do. Um, all I can say to you is all success into you, in your, to you in this work because it matters, as you've said, to more and more people, more and more of us 
whether we like the thought or not, are going to be involved. And therefore, the work that you and people like you are doing is fundamental to our society. Now, I want to say thank you to our listeners. And I also want to mention something that fits in and resonates with something, Mara, you also suggested. See, with Family Caregivers Unite, we're starting a new research project called Qualitative Research. Uh, Basically, the thing is to find out what the listeners, our listeners, think about important topics, such as the one we've just been listening to. And what it will involve is getting people to call in and we will record their thoughts. And that seems to me one of the ways in which we can go forward and help you with biography-based care. Now, that isn't a a question, will you or won't you? That's just me saying I'm extremely interested in what you're doing. I think it's very, very important. And I would like to encourage our listeners uh, to email us to get, if they're interested in this particular approach or they want to get more involved. Absolutely. Every voice matters. And I I hope many of the listeners that you just invited to participate do so, because it's your voices that shape our future work. So I'm very, very keenly interested in their thoughts. Right, right on. Now, we're at the end. So I'm going to say that our next episode will be creative arts, breathing life into caring for Alzheimer's disease. Please join us same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.